Welcome to show 71 of the C-Suite podcast, an episode being produced in partnership with the European PR agency Taito, um, who have recently put together a new report that is the state of the nation look at the Internet of Things, or IoT as it's uh, more commonly referred to. Uh, my name is Russell Goldsmith, and at the start of the summer, I got together in the studio with a couple of people who contributed to this new report. Uh, so firstly, Andrew Grill, um, a former guest of the podcast uh, when he was global managing partner at IBM. Um, but Andrew now acts as a practical futurist and is a regular keynote speaker at events around the world on topics relating to the one that we're discussing today. Alongside Andrew was Abraham Joseph, founder of IoT Insights, a company that works with thought leaders in IoT and machine-to-machine -machine communication uh, to identify market opportunities. And Abraham also travels the world attending IoT-related events, uh, so we were confident he'd have plenty of insight to share with us. Uh, also joining us was Stephanie Atkinson, CEO of Compass Intelligence, who spoke to us online via Skype uh, from her office in San Antonio in Texas. Now, in the show, we will also hear from two more IoT experts from the US who I caught up with before recording the chat in the studio. So firstly, there was Dan Yarmaluk, the Director of Business Development for IoT and Data Science at ATEC Access Technologies, and then Rich Rogers, the Senior Vice President for IoT Product and Engineering at Hitachi Vantara. Now, this is actually the second time we've worked with Taito on the C-Suite podcast. The uh, previous time was back on show 59 when we talked about their top tech influencers list. Uh, so I'm thrilled to welcome back Taito's managing partner, Brendan Craigie, for a uh, quick chat. Um, I, I, I thought before we hear from our IoT experts, it would be good to understand why you've put this report together and what you see are the uh, key takeouts from it. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you, Russell, for having us back. Um, this is the first in a series of reports looking at the hottest technology, science and innovation trends that we intend to publish uh, at Taito. We picked IoT first because it's like one of the sort of top five technology discussions that's been going on over the past uh, five years. It's at the top of the Gartner hype cycle. Just to give you an idea of the scale of the discussion going on around it, there were a quarter of a million articles in 2007 focused on IoT, which is more than double the 100,000 there were in 2015. So you can see that it's very much a rising trend. And the objective of these reports is to cut beneath the hype to understand what's really going on, to understand the positive success stories, as well as some of the barriers and challenges. And we thought, you know, what better way to do that than to get the opinions of more than 50 of the top influencers and opinion leaders on IoT from around the world. Okay, well, we're going to have a further chat with you, Brendan, after uh, hearing what our IoT experts had to say. Um, now, the, the report itself is split neatly into sections covering data, security, digitization and application, ecosystem, and finally, the future of IoT. And so those were the topics that we covered in uh, our studio discussion. And given that making sense of data is a key part of Stephanie's business, I went to her with the first question. Now, she wrote in the report that connected devices and assets alone are not what is uh, revolutionary, but what we can do with the information um, data and analysis of things that are connected is where we expect progress. A lot of the comments made in the report naturally talked about the amount of data that's being generated. Uh, that, of course, is you know the bedrock of which IoT is built. And researching for this episode, I also read that according to IHS Market, who are a global business research and analytics provider, there will be more than 31 billion IoT connected devices in 2018. And just looking at the automotive industry as one example, Intel had previously put out a stat that said just one autonomous car will create 4,000 gigabytes of data a day. So I started the uh, discussion in the studio by asking Stephanie if she thought we are set up to with all of the data that's about to be thrown at us. 
No, great question, and thanks for having me today, Russ. Absolute pleasure. So, so I, you know, I think one one of the big things that we have to think about is we can't be in the position just to collect all of this data and, and it really not do anything. So that definitely is an issue from a carrier perspective, as we have you know just too much data being collected. So we have to really think about this systematically. The data really needs to. We have to look through each and every component. You know, first of all. How often are we pinging the data? You know, is it monthly? Is it weekly? Is it hourly? Is it ongoing? We also have to think about the priority. Is this something that could take down our network? Is this something that could take down our supply chain, our business operations? You know, will this affect our customers? And so those are other things that you have to think about. And then the last piece is, as we start to look through the data, you know, some data might need to be combined with other pieces of information to really bring that level of intelligence to the business and really make it actionable. So all of these things are, you know, what's really driving, you know, the data collection piece. But yeah, it's right now there's a concern in the industry because we can't be in a position where we're collecting everything. We have to think about this in a systematic approach. Abraham, I think it might be helpful to put all this into context in terms of real world uses of IoT. You know, you get to travel to a lot of events around the world on on the topic. So I'm guessing you see some great uses of the technology. Could you share any examples of that? I think wherever wherever I've been, and I've been to several markets, there are examples of people connecting things, collecting data, and adding value. So, for example, in Singapore, five, six years ago, they were on their third iteration of intelligent transport. I recall an event from maybe six, seven years ago where someone from Bangladesh was talking about monitoring cows in the field. So wherever you go, there are opportunities for people to gain real insights from connecting and analyzing data. In fact, to add to what um, Stephanie said, a little while ago, I think three, four years ago, there have been a sort of gold rush into analytics. And even recent um, acquisition of Comtel by Nokia is probably seen as a, you know, an, analy- an analytics play. So yes, some people say the gold is in the data, but Stephanie is absolutely right. Collecting a lot of data in real time, you have to be careful about what you collect, how you collect it. And ultimately the, uh, ultimately the objective is to process it to add some form of value. Obviously, establishing the fact that we've got this huge amount of data available, I would suggest it leads on to and then, you know, another topic that's covered into the report, which is about security. Andrew, this, this issue of security was a, thir- um, a recurring theme in the contributions in, in the report. There was one that stood out for me, um, and that was from James Smythe, the editor of Mighty Gadget. So he wrote, we have already seen millions of baby cams used for botnets. AI assistants are designed to listen constantly, so for one of these systems to be compromised would be catastrophic, as it is so easy to set up. Are, are people right to be concerned? I think security now is the top of everyone's list, even consumers. In the last couple of years, we've seen all sorts of things hacked. We've seen the NHF go offline because of uh, of being hacked. We've seen political campaigns destabilised because of hacking. I think the, the average person in the street is now saying, we didn't realise that things are so vulnerable. And when you connect things together that can be controlled and are sending data around the world, I think everyone should have a security lens to say, is this secure? And the problem with some of these devices in the field is they're so small and so unintelligent that you can't have a, a massive firewall in there to stop people hacking it. Famously, as well as the, um, the baby cam story, a well-known intelligent light bulb was used as a denial service attack. And probably the people developing that never envisaged that hackers would reverse engineer the light bulb <laughs> to, to turn it into a, a, an online missile. 
So I think part of the consideration and the reason why it's borne out in the report is that security should be at the front line. When you are remotely connecting to something that you have no control over or ownership, you need to have some level of control. Uh, yes, security is one of these. Um, uh, when people open up the IoT box, uh, two things hit them in the face. Number one is security. The other is, if you like, uh, the management of all this complexity of devices and so on. Part of the challenge with security is, in many cases, it's a bit of an afterthought. So people are building devices and rolling them out with default passwords and so on. And in some cases, people are not even aware that they've installed these um, backdoors into their, into their operations. Standards are somewhat lagging. In fact, I think there are even vying organizations. Uh, in the UK, we had something started called the IoT Security Foundation. Um, I think uh, AT&T, IBM, and, and a number of others started another organization looking at, at uh, security. So it is a bit of a challenge. Uh, the other comment I think worth making about security is that it's difficult to think of it on its own. It's security and privacy, security and of, uh, and uh, uh, authentication, uh, and so on. So it's it's a it's a multifaceted beast, and that's probably why it's still quite tricky to pin down. I would add too, and we talked about this being such a vital and critical area for IoT. You know, from a concern perspective and privacy perspective as well. You know, when we think about all the IoT platform companies that are out there, you know, there's 400, I've heard 400, I've heard 450, you know, there's so much, there's so much activity on the IoT um, software and application side. I think we as an industry have to really focus in on why there is a lack of companies that are really targeting um, the IoT security market. You know, there are some that, that are out there that are doing a good job and are really working on and improving that. But I know the other thing I would I would say is that from an, a connectivity perspective, I think that yeah, there are some opportunities there. But we also we, we're also seeing pushback from the industry to the OEM or the the manufacturing level, where if you are creating this device, this machine that is connected already has embedded connectivity options in it, that you also have to um, enable that that security level as well. So. It goes back to well, who's responsible, right? The, the the connected device manufacturer, the the connectivity provider, the integrator, um, the company itself. So there's also insurance and um, and risks involved as well as who if something were to you know catastrophic were to happen to an organization because of a breach, you know who's responsible. So all of these things are critical factors when thinking about IoT security. Okay. As, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we've, we've got a couple of other experts' uh, views on IoT that I wanted to include um, who contributed to the report. And the first of those that we're going to hear from is Dan Yarmaluk, who I spoke to earlier online. And I started by asking him just to tell us a little bit about his role at ATEC and the services his company provides uh, within the area of IoT. Sure. You know, ATEC has a long storied history of manufacturing. Um, it goes back 70 years they have a foundry that manufactures every cylinder head for Harley-Davidson. They had a plastics division that made uh, various components for 3M as well as Medtronic, which is a large medical device company in the United States. And they got into acquiring some technology products. One of them is crypto ignition keys um, and ruggedized memory and then pressure sensitive mats for industrial. And then go, we go into the IoT realm. And the IoT solutions uh, started with a product called Tank Scan that measures above ground fuel storage tanks. And mine is, or the product that I'm responsible for, is 
asset skin, which is a reliability solution or predictive analytics of industrial equipment with regards to specifically vibration in rotating equipment like pumps, fans, and motors. Would, would you say that the industry has, has developed quite rapidly over the last year or so? And, and also, I'm intrigued to know, you know where you see the greatest progress or shift happening in, in the next 12 to 18 months. I think the industry is developing. I mean, I think this is classic Gartner hype curve and, and the disillusionment trough and, and things like that. And we're starting to move into, re, we're, we're wanting to discover real use cases and, and, and ways to apply it. We don't want broad uh, theoretical kind of connectivity arguments, but rather we want to know what problem does it solve. And I hope that the industry um, shifts toward this is to, specific problems and pain points being solved or alleviated with this connected product as a as opposed to trying to eat the element all at one time you know we're gonna problem 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 and then there's progress coming back to um your contribution to the um report in terms of the words that, that you uh, you shared for that you mentioned that roi is elusive and not measurable as a as a direct payback in some cases i was just wondering how big a challenge you think roi is and how organizations can actually overcome it well i don't i just don't think it it falls in the regular i, I could be wrong and there might be innovative ways to do capital expenditures and roi with this expensive equipment but i don't think you know, communication, agility, innovation, efficiency that spreads over multiple different areas of the company is necessarily directly related to, oh, you know, we're getting this throughput from this machine that equals X amount of savings per hour. What I mean is that we have a world where we say predictive analytics, make sure this is up and running and reliable. Well, if you're up and running and reliable and you avoid those catastrophic downtimes, you know, for production value, I, I find it hard to be able to mathematically include that, you know, maybe we can quantify it. It's just not as easy as buying, a, say, a faster machine and more parts per minute. And uh, we have to think of it as an innovative way of looking at it and the ROI or payback is in, is, is in very sometimes indirect uh, formats. Another barrier that you um, talked about in terms of making this struggle to get to wider adoption, you, you, you talked about um, the divide between OT and IT teams. And I was just wondering if you can expand a little bit more on that. Well, in the manufacturing or on the industrial side, I mean, uh, manufacturing has traditionally been very, it's very conservative in nature. If you think about it, it's like all command and control, SCADAR PLC control systems in which you never deviate to make sure these things are made or produced in the exact fashion at the exact time. If you think about that culture, it is, it is resistant to change because it's, it's a control issue. But I think broadly speaking, I mean, the operational technology guys are, are in the field with their hands dirty and the IT guys don't have an understanding how these things get done in the field. And there is, there is a fissure there between these two constituencies in the sense that the IT guys don't know the reality to be able to craft the information technology solution or the connected solution to a operational technology world. And this is, this is really evident with regards to any kind of data science solution that's out there. They say machine learning or they say uh, automation or anomaly detection. And the problem is 
all those kind of machine learnings or predictions are based upon variables and those variables are weighted by what is in the domain or the manufacturing environment. And if you don't know what those variables are because a machine learning expert or computer scientist from the Bay Area Silicon Valley has never changed the oil on their car, nonetheless a complex industrial machine, you know, there, there's a gap. And I think there has to be a dialogue and a respect for the OT to make the IT win. So we need to make these constituents come together. And the other problem is a lot of the OT guys traditionally in this sphere are kind of pre-retirement. So there's a lot of tribal knowledge that we have to capture. So um, this is probably the biggest barrier in my mind. Stephanie, there there was a lot covered there um, in those uh, five minutes. One of the things I wanted to ask your thoughts on was what Dan uh, finished on there in terms of different teams working together through this whole process of digital transformation and and some of the barriers that may hinder, you know, the wider adoption. Yeah, and I I know one of the things that, you know, we had mentioned was the whole IT versus OT. And from a digital transformation perspective, what we're finding with the Internet of Things or connecting things is that a lot of these decisions are not necessarily being made in the IT department or the ICT department. A lot of these decisions are being made outside of that, right? They're being made by the logistics areas or shipping or product development or even customer service. So I think that it's really important that, you know, we really look at how do we bring IT and OT together. There are some, you know, industries, especially manufacturing and a few others where when you look at IT versus OT, you get, you know, in many cases, they just don't want to work together or we have decisions that are being made in the operations side and, you know, that might not necessarily impact IT. But in the end, at the end of the day, IoT is coming across the entire spectrum of organizations. So there, there has to be an integration, support, and team environment in order for these solutions to really come to fruition. So it's really important that we do, when we think about our digital transformation journey for a business, we really think through, you know, how do we work better and make decisions across the value chain. So we have to look at, both IT and OT integrating and working together on these projects. Andrew, you had something to add there? Yeah, I just reflecting over Dan's comments that I've seen these cycles happen over and over again. I cut my teeth in the comms land back in 1986 when I left school, so I've been playing in this room, this role for a while. I always ask myself, what business problem are we solving? And I see IoT as a new technology. I've lived through the mobile, mobile advertising, the web, the social phases where everyone had a a solution. Um, Just because the data is there and you can measure it doesn't mean that you should. Mm. And so I think we need to step back even from the OT and the IT people and look at what business problem are we solving. If we're able to instrument all of our devices all and we had telemetry and everything that's going on, are we even prepared as a business and our internal processes to measure that? Could we even act upon it? When social media was hot some years ago, you would have people complaining about a service, but the company wasn't even set up to fix the problem. So it's almost like, why are we listening? So I think as as I hear IoT, blockchain, all these new technologies coming to fray and all the new shiny widgets coming out there, I go back to basics. What problem are we solving? And the ROI should come out of that. Well, I want to ask you about blockchain in, in a second. But Abraham, Andrew was just talking there about, you know, solving business problems. Uh, there are some exciting potential uses, obviously, out there. Have you got any thoughts on, on some of those that you may have seen? Well, yes, I think, uh, broadly speaking, we can split the opportunities between the consumer space and the um, the enterprise space. 
and uh, the non-consumer space, I guess we can also split between enterprises and uh, public sector, where maybe decision-making processes are, are slightly different. The obvious ones would be things like transportation, manufacturing, uh, health, and so on. But I think there's a very, very long tail of applications. Just about every business can be touched by this. I do agree that just because we can measure it doesn't necessarily mean that we should. I think there is also a danger in believing that um, we can be too prescriptive about some of this. So I mentioned a long tail. I happen to believe that maybe some of those opportunities in the long tail might be bigger than we think and sooner than we think. And the converse may also be true. For example, health is an obvious one. Everybody knows that most uh, economies have uh, you know, a large population of elderly people getting larger and a, a shrinking workforce. And clearly this technology can help a lot, you know, keeping people at home, keeping people, um, you know, more efficient use of resources in hospitals, etc. Um, but as to exactly how it comes about, maybe a little harder to see. So we've got to bear in mind that we didn't predict a lot of what we currently have now. And we probably will not be able to predict a lot of what might ultimately be the killer applications in this space. I, my mantra is that to get digital, you've got to be digital. And I've actually used IoT as an example. Um, when I was researching what it was uh, some years ago, uh, I bought an IoT starter kit from Premier Farnell. It cost me 50 quid. I was then able to bring to life what it means to instrument a device and have it sent to my computer. And, and that's when the penny dropped. I got it. So I would encourage people listening to the podcast that are reading about IoT and seeing the use cases. Spend the 20 or 30 quid on a, on, a, on a kit or go and buy an intelligent light bulb that you can control from your phone. Get used to the technology. And then if you're in the decision space where you're going to have to commit hundreds of millions of pounds to this, you're then better equipped to understand the real use case. So I would encourage business leaders to, to try and play with the technology to get their heads around it. There was one example. There was a comment in the report that I quite liked. It was from uh, Mike uh, Dimelo, um, co-founder and chief investment officer at ADV. Um, he put, what about cars talking to insurance machines to price each journey? I, I, I love that idea of like pay-as-you-go insurance based on you know, real-time data, where you're traveling, what time, how long for for example any, any thoughts on that one it's happening already there are a number of companies in the uk that have telematics that d do that yeah. but what you're talking about is the change of the business model there's a fixed provider called trove t-r-o-v and they provide real-time insurance so if you're going to leave the house you can insure your laptop or your bike just for that period of time and when you're home again it's not insured so i think that married together with knowing where you are and those sorts of things your insurance premium may dynamically change depending where you went then we'll get onto this question maybe a bit later is the, the privacy. So do I want people knowing where I am in return for a cheaper insurance? Abraham. Yes, um, it's one of these situations again where just because we can doesn't necessarily mean we should. Because at the moment we still have the, there's a societal uh, impact. At the moment uh, we, there's a leveling out. Um, obviously some people benefit more than others. Um, there are some dangers, yes. First of all, the privacy. Um, what I've heard basically is that um, uh, it's not just about uh, it's it's not just about you and your car and your journey, but also the environment. Is it raining? Is it snowing? What other people are doing on the road? Because all of those obviously may contribute to your propensity to mm -hmm. have an accident or not. So, massive issues around privacy. But even if you resolve all of that, there may be an argument to suggest that. Um, Maybe a youngster has a uh, higher propensity to have an accident, but maybe so is an elderly person. Should we start necessarily charging the elderly people or the people who have only one arm or one leg? 
because one may argue that they may be less safe. Um, so I think we're probably not ready for some of these, although we can do it. Uh, there are lots of issues to resolve. I think we need a whole different discussion on, on this one. Um, Andrew, I want to pick up on something you mentioned just before, which was uh, you used the, the phrase blockchain. It's, it's something that obviously gets talked about a lot within within IoT. Do you want to just explain, you know, for the benefit of our listeners that may not be aware or, or yeah, know, totally well, sure of it? It's interesting that blockchain seems to be competing with IoT for the mantle of the newest technology, and there are different uh, camps. But the two I actually see coming together in some place. Those uh, listening that, that have read up about blockchain, it's a distributed ledger. So it is irrefutable uh, version of the truth. Each time a transaction is is registered, it's recorded onto a block that gets longer and longer and longer. Uh, and a lot of people would have come into blockchain by reading about cryptocurrency around Bitcoin. Bitcoin transactions are put on a blockchain. So if you add IoT, which is a device or a network of devices spinning off data, and you want to have proof that this data actually happened and it's irrefutable. So in an event where something went wrong, the moments before it went wrong, you would want to have an irrefutable version of the truth. So I see there are some use cases where IoT could feed into a blockchain, but again, what's the business value? Not everything can be put on the blockchain. But I think we need to think more broadly that these emerging technologies such as distributed ledger technology with blockchain and others and IoT come together. And so people should be looking not just at, well, what's my IoT strategy, but what is my data capture strategy? What is my business growth strategy? So I, I do see the two intersecting in a Venn diagram somewhere. Right. Okay. Um, I want to come on to um, another topic, and that's who you guys see becoming the key stakeholders in all of this. Abraham, let's come to you first on this. Um, I mentioned earlier uh, consumers versus enterprises. So, so basically, uh, we have wherever we look there are multiple stakeholders uh, so within the consumer space you may even find that somebody makes a decision to purchase and somebody else is involved in using within the enterprise I referred to that earlier but uh, there's another way of looking at it those who provide those who are on the supply side and, and in this instance it would be people in the uh, products and services network operators systems integrators and so on and those who who consume so if you're going to connect things, then connectivity obviously is a fundamental part of that. Now, as to who, the ne who, who ends up winning in the network game is not that obvious. Um, the cellular people obviously have um, uh, paid for bandwidth and can guarantee quality of service to a certain extent. So there's some co compelling reasons why the operators ought to have a major stake in this and ought to, ought to win. At the risk of being beaten up by operators, I must say that um, a lot of the value-added opportunities haven't necessarily been captured by them in the past. And if you look, for example, on the vendor side, there's some very interesting things happening there. Uh, sorry, on the IT side, there are some very interesting things happening there. So obviously we have the, the, the IBMs, the Dells, the HPs, and so on. And then we have a set of people who uh, are systems integrators. But interestingly, some of those, especially the big guys out of India, Tata, um, Ahintra, Reliance, etc. They themselves have multiple asset classes that uh, within their conglomerate. So they do have a good case for saying, hey, we've built it, we've tested it at scale. Come to us, we are a better play than you know, going to the usual, uh, usual suspects. There are also people like GE, who obviously been operating and building machines and so on, who are moving out and, H and, and Hitachi. So it is yet to, to uh, play out as to who among these players would end up winning. But one thing I would say um, that may determine winners from losers 
would be domain, domain expertise. Either you have it or you have the ability to acquire it or, or to partner to acquire it in order to deliver value in an, into a particular vertical industry. Stephanie, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I know, you, you know, talking about the stakeholders, I would say in addition to that, you know, we, we kind of look at it real similar. You know, we look at business versus consumer. But from a stakeholder perspective, I think it's even more important to look on the business side because you have so many in the ecosystem. Right now, what we're seeing is so many technology vendors are also very focused on partnering, right? What's their what, their go-to-market strategy, their channel strategy? And in order to deliver a full-scale solution and, and for it to be scalable, you have to have partners in place. So from a stakeholder perspective, you know, you think about the hardware side, the application or platform, and even the software side, the management of the devices, the monitoring, the security side of it, as well as you know anything that's client or consumer facing, what happens on the customer experience or sales and follow-up you know, side of the market. So from a stakeholder perspective, you have all the technology vendors and then you also have the end users. Um, from a business perspective, from an end user perspective, you may also have supply chain partners or partners in that particular industry's ecosystem that may also end up being an end user just because of what that connected solution may be providing in terms of information and analytics. You're listening to the C-Suite Podcast. To listen to all previous shows in the series, you can either visit csuitepodcast.com, follow us on SoundCloud, or subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or in any one of your favorite podcast apps. Please do give us a positive rating and review when you do. I want to get on to the second interview I recorded uh, before the show, and that was with uh, Rich Rogers, who is Senior Vice President for IoT Products and Engineering at Hitachi Vantara. And again, my first question to Rich was just to tell us a little bit about his background in the field of IoT. Right now, I, I lead product management you know, and engineering, right, which is really the vision, the strategy, the roadmap, and uh, the definition and development and, and delivery and support of, of all those solutions. Uh, my background is is really heavy on the software side, so over 20 years of, of software development and, and building and leading, you know, software engineering teams. Would you say the um, the development has really sort of ramped up in the last uh, couple of years? Absolutely. I mean, again, we look at industrial IT as, as really like one of the biggest business opportunities in the history of the world because it's really going to uh, change almost everything, right? It's going to change the way that products are designed and manufactured. It's going to change the way that products are deployed and consumed. It's going to change the way that products are, you know, serviced and sort of monitored. Uh, and we really look at it as like billions of lines of net new software that's going to be written over the next decade. That's really going to unlock, you know, trillions of dollars of value. And so, yeah, we're making massive, massive investments on the software side of things. So I just want to come back to the comments you provided for the uh, report. You talked about the need to create digital twins that can model the physical assets and help operators make intelligent decisions around managing those assets. I was just wondering if you can go into a bit more detail on that and perhaps uh, give us a, an example as well. Sure. You know, last century, you know, we had we really had a bunch of dumb machines like scattered around the world when you really think about it, right? And, and the only way to sort of assess and sort of, um, you know, measure those machines were to visit them, right? You know, visiting... Uh, fleets of construction equipment or visiting elevators, right? You know, to basically go through that like regularly scheduled maintenance phase, right? And and sometimes you would show up and the machine was in perfect working order and you basically wasted your time going there. Other times you show up and you realize if you were there like a week earlier or a day earlier, you know, you could have like headed off like a major maintenance, you know, sort of challenge. 
And so industrial IoT, it's really about getting everything connected. And when you do that, you know, getting it connected is, is just half the battle. You also need to start to model that physical machine within the computer, right? And that's the whole concept of the digital twin, uh, where this raw cryptic machine data is streaming in, you know, to a platform. And the digital twin is able to take that raw cryptic machine, you know, data and start to translate it into human readable information, right? Where it can now be sort of blended with data that's in your Oracle databases or your SAP systems, or, you know, even your unstructured data like email or PDFs or, or work orders. Um, and so, yeah, the digital twin is, is key to getting that data into the platform, uh, translating it and enabling the blending of it, right? And so again, you know, for us, we're really working hard to move away from regularly scheduled maintenance, you know, for our elevators, you know, for construction equipment. Uh, and so again, we're building these digital twins for every single Hitachi machine. Uh, and that's enabling, you know, a movement to this just-in-time maintenance sort of model uh, where we can really maximize the utilization of our maintenance people uh, and get them going, you know, to the right gear at the right time, essentially. Yeah. And where do you see the, the, the sort of greatest progress or shift happening over, over the next, say, 12 to 18 months? Well, I think, you know, right now, you know, we like to think that IoT, it's sort of like the new ERP, right? And, I, you know, ERP has been around almost like 20 years now. And ERP brought tremendous value by getting all of our business systems integrated, right? Getting the databases, you know, the Oracle databases, you know, connected, you know, to all the back office and ERP systems. Industrial IoT, it's, it's sort of in that phase again where it's, it's highly customized and very specialized and, and very unique, almost to like every single implementation. Uh, and just like ERP evolved to become more turnkey, you know, even to the point where it's now offered almost as a SaaS solution, you know, 20 years later, I think that's the biggest challenge for IoT is, is evolving from very customized and specialized solutions to more turnkey or productized offerings, right, that can be very easily deployed and consumed uh, in some of these enterprises. Even on the side of like the componentry, right, I think right now it's all custom. You know, I think going forward, we almost need the equivalent of Fitbits, you know, for machines. We can very easily attach them to the machines and, and get that data streaming in pretty quickly, uh, rather than having to build sort of, again, custom control componentry or gadgetry, you know, for every single machine. Uh, so, yeah, we think productization, you know, that, that's basically the journey that we, need, we all need to get on around both the software and the hardware side of things. Yes, I wanted to comment on the, the simplification and the digital twin. So... In the past, one a manufacturer would make a product, it would go out into the real world, and um, that's maybe the last they see of it until maybe they turn up for maintenance. Uh, the concept that was being referred to in terms of digital twinning has all manners of, uh, of possibilities. The most obvious of which, and in fact I've seen an example of this, is um, I think Thingworks has a demonstration with one of their customers where um, the real bicycle goes out into the real world and is instrumented, and as it is used, the data goes back into the factory into a, like a virtual version of this bike. So the next batch that comes off production can be improved in whatever way was, was determined um, needing improvement. But uh, another example of this simplification is that previously maybe you needed a lot of uh, skill to go and uh, fix a particular machine. Um, with some of this technology now, combining it with AI and combining it with um, mixed reality, as Microsoft would like to call it, it's possible now to have someone who maybe had never done it before or is, has a relatively low skill level able to, to service fairly complex machines. So there are all manners of possibilities coming from this concept of capturing the data and merging virtual and physical. Um, 
I've got one final question for you because we've covered a, a hell of a lot um, in, in this podcast. Where do you think this is all leading over the next 12 to 18 months and beyond? Stephanie, let's let's come to you on this one. Great, um, great podcast. So um, I want to thank you guys for having me again. So thank yeah, you. so looking forward the next 12, 18 months, I think that we, we're seeing a lot of just um, changes from an ecosystem perspective. You know, we have so many, we expect to even have more um, companies that say we're an IoT company or, or we're now a software company. We're now an application company because we're um, providing applications from an IoT perspective. But we also expect to see consolidation in the market. You know, there will be some winners and losers in um, the next 12, 18 months. All of these so-called platform companies, will we, we won't have all of those. You know, it's, it's just too many. We will see some um, technology vendors win, right? The, those that are doing really well in this space who who are focusing in on three to five, you know, core vertical application areas or, or you have really interesting use cases. I think also for us to see success in IoT, and, and we mentioned this at uh, an IoT conference I was at last year, was we have to, from a business perspective, have one good use case, a, a real live deployed use case that is saving money or improving productivity or improving operations. And that is what gets the C-level excited about um, IoT. So the more we see that happening, where we can see true KPIs that are really improving the business or the organization, if it's a government um, entity, those are the kinds of things that we will see and we need to have in the market to really have that scale that we're looking for. Now, I'd say the last thing is security. We, I do expect to see um, um, more news, you know, newsworthy happenings from an IoT perspective as we see the vulnerabilities of connected devices. We will see more um, news around something that's being compromised that's really impacting an industry or a very large corporation. And that's really um, what we believe will continue to push security at the top. And we definitely think that we'll see a lot of movement in that space as well. So I, I think that one final word from an IoT perspective, as we consolidate, we also look for partners. I think that some of the winners that are going to be out there in the marketplace from a technology vendor perspective are those that really not only have the domain expertise, but also are building out their technology partners in a way where they can actually provide the full turnkey solution for companies today. Um, I'm going to go around the table here as well in the studio. So Abraham, let's start with you. Ah, 12 to 18 months. Um, I think probably quite a lot. I, I, I uh, expect the connectivity battle to continue. Uh, there are those who expect that 5G will be um, uh, hitting prime time within that window. Others uh, disagree. And meanwhile, uh, some of the wireless unlicensed spectrum technologies such as LoRa uh, are capturing, uh, are gathering quite a bit of momentum. So I expect to see that uh, battle um, raging. I see a lot of issues around the people side of things getting more focus. Uh, human factors, uh, both on the input and output of this IoT. We've seen some examples of it with these, uh, these assistants in the home, etc. Transport, that, that's a massive one, what's happening currently in the automotive sector, um, both connecting the, 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 the cars, but also what can be done in terms of capturing. In fact, I believe uh, some of the manufacturers may all move to a leasing model before we get to um, to fully um, autonomous uh, driving. 
Um, security and privacy, I, I agree. We pro we're going to have to get smarter, but I suspect we're probably going to see a lot more challenges there as well before. And one final thing, drones at the moment, they're more seen as a uh, relative, uh, I guess, in terms of people playing with them as opposed to serious work. I expect that we'll see a lot more happening in that space for a couple of reasons. One is there are many applications, construction, monitoring of, of, of assets, etc., where the technology is now approached at the point where not only is it cheap, but people are building platforms. Uh, so you can effectively go onto a drone platform in order to achieve something, you know, monitoring service or uh, uh, whatever. And the other reason is that I think it will get uh, quite a significant push from uh, 5G or, or, or they may, if you like, uh, reinforce each other. If you're going to control these things, you'll need relatively good uh, low latency and probably if you're going to be, for example, getting images back high bandwidth. So this could be an interesting, uh, if you like, symbiosis between some of these sort of moving sensors and uh, connectivity. OK, I'm going to leave the last word on the future to our resident practical futurist here. <laughs> yeah, so with my practical futurist hat on, echoing all of my other colleagues' comments, I think uh, Stephanie's right. We'll need to see some use cases to get people excited. Um, there probably will be some noteworthy security breaches, which keeps various publications uh, awake and alive with things that have happened and sensationalised things, so it'll, it'll get front and centre. The, the SIM will not exist in a few years' time in any device. But I think what we might see is a renaissance in the mobile operators because until now, uh, voice has gone uh, flat rate, text has gone flat rate, or you use WhatsApp, and data is really the only thing that they can variably charge on, but they've got this huge infrastructure of mobile network licenses and base stations. I think the mobile operators will see a real renaissance and a use uh, beyond having humans connect with devices. We're now going to have billions and billions of things connected together. And I think um, while 5G may be in some markets in 18 months' time, we'll see existing networks, 4G networks. I know what Telstra are doing, for example, back in my hometown. They are IoT um, readiness uh, is, is very high. They do CAT M1, they do narrowband IoT out of the box on their existing network. So they've said we're going to invest, and I think you'll see other carriers invest as well, to make their networks IoT ready. So that was Andrew Grill finishing off a really packed and uh, fascinating discussion. I'm back here with uh, Brendan Craigie of Taito just to summarise uh, what we've heard. Uh, Brendan, what were the highlights for you from that discussion? I'm especially interested in the security and privacy discussion we've had. Uh, there was a time when the tech industry could do no harm and it was always given the benefit of the doubt. Um, today, I think the situation is very different. And I think you could go as far as to say that people often today suspect the worst from the activities of technology companies. Um, we've heard in this discussion how security and privacy uh, are often being dealt with by the industry as an afterthought. Um, and I think that the industry does that at its peril. I'm going to put the same final question uh, to you as well. Where do you think uh, this is all leading over the next few years? Well, I think in the tech world, momentum is everything. And, you know, I think we, what we can see now is that IoT really has that momentum, but it can be very easily lost if people don't see substance to back up the hype. So I think, um, you know, for me, the onus now is really on the industry to bring as many transformational applications of the technology to the real world over the next 18 months. And that way, you know, the industry will, the IT industry will continue to get the investment and backing it needs. Um, having this discussion today and, you know, speaking to the 50 um, influencers, it's very clear that people feel that pressure to deliver. 
Um, and I think that the industry is in a great shape to make that happen. Okay, so uh, final question then. If listeners want to download a copy of the uh, report, where do they need to go? So you need to go to um, titopr.com forward slash IOT. So that's T-Y-T-O-P-R.com forward slash IOT. Perfect. Very simple. Uh, and that's it. Um, we've actually covered loads and loads in this episode. I just want to thank everyone again that contributed. So firstly, my guests in the studio interview, who were Abraham Joseph, Stephanie Atkinson, and Andrew Grill, plus, of course, Daniel Yarmulak and Rich Rogers, who took the time to uh, chat to me beforehand. Um, and obviously, finally, thanks again to Brendan Craigie of Taito. Don't forget, all previous shows are available to listen to at csuitepodcast.com, where there are supporting show notes and links to where you can subscribe on the likes of SoundCloud and iTunes, which, of course, if you do use, as I always ask, please do... Uh, um, give us a positive rating and review. It'd be very much appreciated because that helps us up the business charts. If you've got any comments on uh, today's discussion or indeed any of our previous episodes, then please do like our Facebook page or follow us on Twitter or Instagram and you can get involved uh, there as well. Those are all linked from the uh, top of the website. And finally, if you want to contact me to get involved in the series in any way, then you can do that via the contact form on the site or via Twitter using at Ross Goldsmith. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>